Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. Today I want to start a new series called Christian Foundations. Uh, and it's going to be designed to establish your Christian life on a firm foundation. You know, the foundation is an absolutely essential part of a building. Until you've built the foundation, it's pointless building anything else. And without a firm foundation, the building, whatever nice qualities it might have otherwise, is, is going to collapse. It's not going to last. And Jesus actually was a builder. He was a tecton. It's usually translated carpenter, but it also means builder, a worker in in stone as, as well as in wood. And uh, so he described to us the importance of building on the right foundation. And that's in Matthew chapter 7. He said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock, on, on a strong rocky foundation. But Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And you know, I believe often Christians don't pay attention to establishing the foundation right in their life. You know, they, they will chase after exciting specialist teachings, trying to decorate their houses but they haven't yet built a firm foundation. And so they are not able to apply these, uh, you know, these higher revelations to their lives because really they're trying to eat meat before they've actually uh, drunk and put into practice the milk of the word. And so we have to put first things first. And so that's what this series is, is here for, to make sure you have the right foundations in, in place in your life. Because if things are not going right, Perhaps it's because those foundations aren't there. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5, and uh, Paul is talking about this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food or meat. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And, and here he's saying that the milk of the word is the elementary principles or the foundational principles, that which needs to be established first in our life. And he's basically saying that we, as we put the milk into practice, as we hear and do the word, and he, he says you have to exercise it, you have to apply it to your life, as you do that you become skilled in righteousness, you become skilled in doing the right thing, and then you grow, and then once you've grown sufficiently, then you are ready to take on the solid food. And so there's a spiritual growth that needs to happen. But you build a house from the bottom up. And so you have to put, receive the foundational teachings first, and the, which is the milk of the word, and then grow from there. You know, I used to be a maths teacher, and it's a bit like that, because first of all, you've got to teach people the, 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 the idea of number and whole numbers in particular. Then you teach addition, and then you give them exercises, and when they've put that into practice enough, then you can go to the next thing, which is subtraction, 
and then they do exercises and they do that, put that into practice, then they're ready for multiplication, then they're ready for division, then they're ready for fractions. But you can't bypass that process. You have to receive the knowledge and then practice it until you've internalized it and then you can go to the next step. And again, as I say, many people kind of go on to calculus, Christian calculus if you like, before they've even mastered the basics. So Hebrews goes on in chapter 6 to describe these uh, principles and uh, some of these elementary principles and it confirms that they are the foundation, foundation teaching for our life. Hebrews chapter 6, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation, and here, here are the seven, repentance from dead works, and two, faith toward God, three, of doctrine, four, of baptisms, five, of the laying on of hands, six, of the resurrection of the dead, and seven, eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And so, the f let's start, even before these foundational teachings, let us say what the foundation is. It's Christ. Remember he said to Peter, um, you, you are Peter, but on this rock I will build my church. So, we are built on the foundation who is Christ. He is the rock. And so, the foundation, first of all, is what we call the gospel. And that is understanding who Jesus is, and what he did for us, his love for us, that was demonstrated by what he did for us in his death and resurrection. Christ is the foundation. That's what 1 Corinthians 3.11 says. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so the foundation is Jesus, what he did. And that's what the gospel proclaims to us. And so it all begins by us accepting Christ when the gospel is preached to us, uh, and then, as it were, the foundation, which is Christ, is laid in our lives. And so this is, is the central message of the Bible, the gospel. And it's the entry-level message. It tells us God's way whereby we can be made right with God, have peace with God, so that we can experience his abundant eternal life, and be with God in heaven forever. It's, it's wonderful good news. And until you understand and hear the gospel of Christ and his grace, and, and you respond to that in the God-ordained way, then the Bible will be a closed book to you. Uh, the Christian life will be an impossible ideal. The gospel is the door, if you like, into the kingdom of God. You have to humble yourself and go in through the door prescribed by the gospel uh, to enter the kingdom then everything else will be revealed to you. And so today I want to share the gospel with you. First of all, to make sure that you actually know the gospel and you have responded properly to the gospel. And secondly, so that you can actually share the gospel with others, because that's what we're called to do as believers. I find actually that many who call themselves Christians have never responded to the gospel personally. And, and as a result, although they're nominally named Christians, they're outside the kingdom of God. So we need to check ourselves to, to be sure that we have actually responded as God requires. So there's nothing more important in God's word than the gospel. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And, and so man thinks, well, there are many ways into heaven. 
by doing good works, by keeping the Ten Commandments, by obeying the Golden Rule, you know, uh, by being nice to people, by not hurting anyone, by not committing crimes, being better in my own thoughts than other people are, to give to charity, to be religious, to be sincere. And, and then the, the way that man generally thinks is, well, if I'm generally a good person and I've helped a few people in my life, then surely I will get to heaven. But the problem with all these ways are that they depend on us. And, but none of us is perfect. We can't keep all the rules all the time. We all fail. So how can any of us be sure that we have done enough to earn our place in heaven? In fact, the more hard you try, the more you realize how much you fail, your imperfections. And if you realize that you are not perfect and that you cannot be sure of having eternal life in heaven, then get ready to hear the best news you've ever heard. And that good news is that heaven, eternal life, is a free gift. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, God wants you, wants to have a wonderful, eternal, beautiful, loving relationship with us. And he wants us to, to experience his abundant life and his love forever and ever. And so he wants us to have that. So he offers it to us as a free gift. That's an amazing thing. And since it's eternal life is a free gift, like all genuine free gifts, it is not earned or deserved. No amount of personal effort, good works, religious deeds can earn a place in heaven for you. The Bible says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so if, if, if it depended on our good works, if we made it to heaven, we'd be able to boast. But God says there's going to be no grounds for us to boast. If we get to heaven, it's because it's his free gift that we've received. Just suppose you have a best friend, uh, and out of love you gave them something really expensive, maybe a nice new car or some wonderful piece of jewelry or something like this and and they and they look at you and they say oh and then they pull out a five pound note and they say oh here's 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 a fiver for that how would you feel well i think you would feel insulted because any it it it's a free gift you did it out of love you gave it as a gift and here they are trying to pay some paltry thing for it but if you pay for it, it's no longer a gift. No gift can be paid for or earned or deserved. And so it is for eternal life. You can't pay for it by your good works. God refuses any payment for it because he offers it to us as a gift on a free gift basis. And it's actually an insult to try and pay for it. We could never afford it anyway. It's, it's far too valuable. And so eternal life can only be received as a free gift. And this becomes clearer when we look at the nature of man. The Bible says that man is a sinner. All of us, we've, we've sinned. Uh, it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all guilty in the sight of God. And, uh, you know, our own experience, our own conscience tells us that we fail to live up to our own standards, let alone God's standard, which, let me tell you, is far higher than our standards. God's standard is, is perfection. And so sin, often we don't talk about sin nowadays so much, but sin is actually anything that displeases God or falls short of his standard. 
something that transgresses his perfect law. And his law is that we should love God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so whenever, whenever we don't do that, we have sinned. Sin is not just crimes like the, that would send you to jail, like murder, rape, robbery. It's actually any, anything that we do that is selfish, uh, that might hurt others. There are sins indeed, uh, for instance, cheating, losing our temper, lust, stealing, immorality. There are sins in word, like lying, gossiping, cursing, swearing. And as well, there are also sins of thought, like lust, pride, bad thoughts, hatred. And so, more than that, sins of commission is what we do, but also there are sins of omission, which means when we don't do what we ought to do, like love our neighbor as ourselves, and failing to love God and worshiping God as we ought. And so the f that should make it clear that we have all sinned. Now don't tell me you're perfect, you haven't sinned, because we've all sinned, and it, that shows that we're sinners by nature. We are not deserving of eternal life. None of us could deserve it. Just imagine you were actually a walking angel and you only committed three sins a day, three bad thoughts, three bad words, three things you, you didn't do that you should have done. But in a year, that would be over a thousand sins, and in a lifetime, that would be 70 or 80,000 sins. Just imagine if you were in a court and you had 70,000 indictments against you. You'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? And so because man is a sinner, that means he cannot save himself. We cannot save ourselves. We don't have what it takes. No amount of good works, rituals, religious rituals, trying hard to impress God will get you into heaven. You cannot earn your way into heaven. If you wanted to, and, and church membership won't get you into heaven either. If you want to save yourself by your good deeds, do you realize how good you'd have to be to meet God's standard? Because God only has one standard, and that's perfection. The Bible says in, in Matthew, 548 Jesus said therefore you shall be perfect even as your father is in heaven in heaven is perfect uh, love God is perfect love and uh, that's God's standard perfection and he requires perfection but we could not possibly meet that standard we cannot save ourselves and and James 2.10 makes it worse because it says even if you keep the whole law and yet you stumble in one point, you are guilty of all. It only takes one sin to make you totally guilty of breaking God's law. You know, in, in, uh, in our school days, we'd have exams and, you know, you'd, if you maybe got more than 50%, you would pass the exam. And so we, some of us have this idea that, uh, well, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, as long as I get more than 50%, God will let me into his heaven. Um, because we think God sets the kind of low passing grade. And, um, you know, actually, God only has one passing grade, and that's 100%. You've got to get 100%. So I might get 5%, 10%. You might be a very good person. You, maybe you get 20% or 30% or even 70%. It makes no difference. You fail because the passing grade for God is 100%. And God also 
gave his law in the Bible and he made it clear in the Sermon on the Mount that it's God's not just interested in you having a perfect outward performance, he wants your heart to be perfect. Your heart attitude has to be perfect as well. And who of us can say that? And that's why Galatians 3.10, it says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do all the things that are written in the book of the law. So if you're trying to justify yourself by your keeping of the law, then if you miss it in one way, one on one occasion, you are cursed, you are under judgment. You cannot justify yourself before God that way. Another example of this is swimming the Atlantic. Just imagine we, everyone tried to swim the Atlantic and some people are really good swimmers and they might be able to swim 10 or 20 miles. Most of us probably just a few hundred yards. But um, it makes no difference because the distance, I don't know how many thousand miles or whatever it is, um, way more than thousand miles, uh, no swimmer could possibly cross that gap. And let me tell you, the gap between us and God, the gap between heaven and earth is so big that even, you know, no one is good enough to cross that gap. And so... I like to emphasize this point this way as well. Just imagine you were cooking someone, uh, your, your wife or your husband was cooking breakfast for you and they want to do an omelet. And so they serve up this omelet uh, and uh, there's some good eggs in there that they throw in, but there's a rotten egg, a really rotten egg. And that, that goes in and they mix it all together. They serve up that omelet. Would, it, would that be acceptable to you? And of course it wouldn't, because although there was good eggs, that rotten egg spoils it all. And in the same way, we may have good things in our life, we may have good works in our life, but there's that rotten egg of our sin. And when we try and serve up our life to God, it is not acceptable to Him. And so I hope you can see why it is impossible for us to save ourselves. But you know, in spite of our sin, God is merciful. He does not want to punish us. The Bible says God is love, 1 John 4, 8. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. He wants us all to be saved from hell and to go to heaven. But the Bible, same Bible tells us that although that God loves us, the same Bible that tells us that God loves us also tells us that God is just and he must punish our sin. He says, I will by no means clear the guilty and the soul that sins shall die. God, God's justice requires our sin be punished. Just imagine I robbed the bank, and I went in, and the, I was caught on the video cameras, and I, I shot the teller, and uh, almost killed him, and took 10,000 pounds from the bank, and, uh, but I got caught. And now I'm standing before the judge, and I say to the judge, judge, please, let me off. I, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, promise. Uh, here's some of the money back. I spent some of it, but here's some of it back. Could the judge just let me off like that? Of course not. If he was a just judge, he would surely make, make me pay for that. And so, how much more must the just judge of the universe, God, punish our sins? He wouldn't be righteous if he didn't. And so this is a problem. On the one hand, God is merciful. He doesn't want to punish us. But on the other hand, God is just and he must punish our sin. And so God solved this problem in the person of Jesus Christ. 
you know, who would you say Jesus is? This is the key question. He asked his disciples once, who do you say that I am? And uh, some say a good man, some say a prophet, a great teacher. The Bible says, yes, he's all those things, but he's far more. The Bible says that he is God and that he is the creator of the universe. He is your creator. And as God, he became a man. In the, and, and his name is Jesus Christ. He became a man to show us what God is like and to save us. And so he is the unique God-man, fully God and fully man. We see that in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, that's the name for Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. And then it says, and the Word became flesh, he became a man, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. I want to share with you now what Jesus did for us. Let this hand represent me. God loves me and he wants to have a relationship with me. He wants me to go to heaven. But there's a problem and the problem is this book. This book is the record book of my whole life. All my thoughts, words and deeds, everything I've done, everything that I should have done actually, it's all recorded here. And in there is all my, those sins that I talked about. And this creates a barrier between me and God. Because although God loves me and he's merciful, he doesn't want to punish me. He must punish my sin. Well, God solved this problem in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was and is God. And he came down from heaven to earth and he became a man. And he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And he did great miracles. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. And he did many wonderful things and gave many wonderful teachings. But the most important thing that he did was when he died on the cross. The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, laid on Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. And on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and purchased a place in heaven for us. And he died and he was buried and our sins were buried with him. But on the third day, he rose from the dead and he's alive forevermore. And now he offers us the gift of eternal life. And this gift is received by faith. You know, sometimes people think that this is a mysterious thing. There are many keys that, pe that people think will get them into heaven, but actually there's only one key that will work, and that's the key of faith. John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is this faith? What is this believing? Number one, faith is believing the good news. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead? Then you have faith. But faith is more than that. Faith is more than just that intellectual assent, believing the facts. Faith is also something to do with your will. It's to do with trusting God. Saving faith is trusting God in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. Acts 16.31, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved.
just imagine there's a chair uh, and and you but you're standing up you're not sitting in it you might believe that chair exists but it's not holding you up and it will only hold you up if you transfer your trust and put all your trust in that chair by sitting on that chair that's a picture of faith you're trusting in that chair to hold you up and that's what you that's what saving faith is you have to put all your trust you have to transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus Christ and trust in him to save you forgive you and give you eternal life faith is like the hand of a beggar reaching out to receive the gift of the king and so this is the gospel this is the amazing offer that God makes you of eternal life as a free gift. Would you like to receive eat the gift of eternal life? If you do, then let me tell you how you can receive. Let me clarify it. It means putting all your trust in the resurrected, living Jesus Christ, receiving him into your heart as your Savior and Lord. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He stands at the door of your heart. And he knocks and he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And when you, to, faith is to receive Jesus as your savior. He comes in to your heart and he forgives all your sins and he gives you eternal life. And when he comes in, he also comes in as your Lord because he is God. He sits on the throne room of your heart. And you have to submit and surrender your heart to him. You receive him as your savior and Lord. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. And that's what we need to do. To receive Jesus, we have to call upon him and ask him to save you. And he will do that. And let's just pray this prayer and, and make this your prayer. Dear God in heaven, I come to you. I confess I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself, but I thank you that you love me and that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for me on the cross and paid the penalty for my sins, and you rose on the third day. Right now, Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I receive your gift of eternal life. Please forgive me all of my sins and make me brand new. I give my life to you and I trust in you for my eternal future. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. If you're interested in a DVD of any of our programs, uh, that is available to you uh, for five pounds. You can even order a list from us uh, that gives all the previous programs. Actually, a lot of them are on YouTube. We eventually put them up on YouTube. But uh, you can get your own DVD of each program just by phoning the church office and, and ordering it from us. And if you need a list of the programs, we can also make that available to you. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk 
or by calling 01865 515 086.